Today on the Gary Anderson F1 show, we're going to talk safety. Uh, the FIA Safety Department finished its investigation into a total of 28 serious and fatal accidents uh, in circuit racing in 2019. So this is all about the FIA's constant attempt to analyse and understand and, and push on safety. I think we can agree that uh, over the years they've, they've done a good job of that and they're not going uh, to rest on their laurels, which makes sense, particularly after year, a year where we saw uh, the loss of Antoine Hubert in that horrific crash at Spa. So on this episode of the Gary Anderson F1 show, we're going to get Gary, who of course knows everything there is to know about uh, building and running F1 cars and also has a huge amount of experience in terms of safety measures, having been heavily involved with what happened post Imola 94 and the point where really Formula One drove on in terms of safety. So uh, we're going to work through the proposals. I'm Ed Strew as always uh, and Gary is joining me here poised and, and ready to go. This, this must bring back memories of some of those technical working group meetings uh, you, used to, uh, you used to while away the hours in. Yeah, it does really. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, safety is 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 paramount. Um, I sometimes criticise the fact that the cars are too safe. I think they're too safe in 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 general for the drivers. Whenever they just you know can push the car and spin off the track, and this the barriers or whatever is too far away, you know, there's no no price to pay. But an accident like. Uh, like the one at Spa last year, then obviously things have got to be reacted to, or Billy Munger's accident. Um, you know, there's accidents right through these formulas. It's not just it's not just Formula One or Formula Two or Formula Three. There's accidents right through the motor racing sport, um, and so that needs to be addressed. Basically, it needs you know it needs a big overall look, and the FIA are now setting about doing that. Well, before we'll delve into these uh, various recommendations, as always, we've got the opening question. This is from Dick Verveek, who says, when you got feedback from a driver on a car you engineered, did you ever jump into the car to see what they were talking about? And if not, did you ever wish that you did? Um, actually, an interesting thing. No, I've never jumped into the car to see what they're talking about. But I did drive a couple of our cars around Silverstone. And um, I remember driving the Jordan 193. And it was quite interesting because, you know, that was the time we were developing the semi-automatic uh, gearbox and clutch uh, paddle system on the steering wheel. And by driving four or five laps around Silverstone in the car, I actually got my head around how the gear change worked and the clutch worked far better than feedback from the driver or data. Now, obviously, I couldn't really drive it at competitive speeds. As far as I was concerned, it was competitive, but the stopwatch doesn't say that. But still, you know, you got the feeling of how it worked and how the how the, the paddle felt in your fingers and, you know, how you addressed the fact of leaving the garage, driving out into the pit lane, you know, how comfortable it was, how natural it was to do these things. And that was quite important to me. So that's the only thing I think I've ever felt i'd like to have had the talent to have uh, gone out and said oh i'm going to go and check if it's got any oversteer or not through cops at 280 kilometers an hour but uh, no i didn't have that uh, talent i imagine you'd have rapidly found yourself being considered quite irritating if you kept doing that that's uh, uh there we go but uh, interesting that you could actually get get something out of uh, out of doing that well let, let's move on with these uh these safety proposals and as i say this is these aren't specific proposals that we're going to do exactly this but this this is more the areas they want to analyze and, and some objectives they've set for what they want to do so we're going to uh, work our way through the list and these are as gary said general recommendations so we're particularly going to look at the recommendations for single seater cars so this is a wide range of single seaters. Now, the first thing on the list is about debris containment. So this is about mitigating or preventing debris ejection from cars during an accident. So this is about retaining large debris, 
uh, structurally significant debris in terms of tethering. So they would have already have the wheel tethers, for example, and also trying to protect against smaller debris um, being scattered around the place. And they've included talking about composite materials to stop carbon fibre parts, for example, shattering and falling off, etc. So in that heading, what, what sort of areas do you think they should be looking at? What could be done to improve this area? Um, yeah, well, you know, debris will always be a, be the, the thing you're trying to contain. You know, there was a time whenever, for example, we didn't have any tethers on the on the wheels and uprights. So um, when they did have an accident and that came off, it went into the crowd. So it was deemed a good idea that if you had the, a tether holding the wheel and upright assembly uh, to the car, it meant that, uh, the you know, the driver was the one at risk because obviously it can come round. It shouldn't hit him on the head. The tether length and its, its fixation point should be such that the that whatever it is about twenty five kilograms of weight um, can't come round and hit him in the head. But if it does, both the car and the wheel are travelling at the same speed, so the chances of damage and the driver obviously are travelling at the same speed. So the, the chances of harm are a lot less. Whereas if the wheel and upright assembly, 25 kilograms, comes off at, you know, what, 150, 200 kilometres an hour, and heads into the crowd where somebody's sitting in the grandstand, it's a whole different story. So keeping the, keeping the debris with the car is uh, a good thing. I think at the end of the day, you have to identify the, the heavy components that can hurt, which obviously was wheels, because whenever a wheel comes off, it just rolls down the road. Something like a front wing, for example, it probably weighs these days four kilograms, four and a half kilograms, or something like that. Um, so, But if it comes off, the thing is it can go below the car or it can hit another driver on the head because basically that wing um, you know, comes out of one car and hits the other one. So it's, it's difficult to contain all sorts of debris. There are stuff that breaks up, the bodywork breaks up. You could bring in a control over the materials used for for front wing end plates or for side pods or any of this sort of stuff that breaks up in an accident. But it's the big the big components that can come off, and I'd say they are the four wheels, uh, the front wing, the front wing and nose, um, and, and the rear wing assembly. Those are the big components. I think you want to contain and keep with the car as best you can. Um, there's talk about trying to do a, a sort of perforated strip around the front wing sides so that basically if you touch one side of it that one side can fall off so it's a third of the weight or something um that's all better if you can do that sort of stuff but just be careful you don't uh you know instigate some more failures just because you're trying to be clever on the way um i think a tether on the nose through the from the front bulkhead through the nose to the front wing uh, or a couple of tethers um would be a good solution yes it will keep the front wing with the car Yes, you'll see the chassis bouncing all over the top of it and stuff like that. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it, that's better than someone like this going into the crowd or being lying on the track for somebody else to come around and drive over and launch the car into the air. Well, that's connected to, uh, jumping ahead a little bit, there's a section on front wing designs and front wing attachment talking about the wing-to-nose attachment to mitigate the loss of complete front wing assemblies and safety risks. And then if there's ways to have controlled failure points which obviously what you were talking about there so uh, they've, as well as talking about debris containment there's another section with front wings specifically so that that does seem like a pretty wise area because that's in a, that in a single seater is a very exposed part isn't it that's probably the bit you most often see being parted from the car yeah it's those big bits now as, as you said there earlier the first part's about you know debris 
the small stuff coming off the cars. And, you know, all of those big bits have small bits on them. For example, the front wing, you know, the front wing main plane is the big, is the big uh, part that sort of has got, got the weight behind it and the mass. Um, the flaps themselves are all fairly light with little packages. So they, if you have an accident that knocks the front wing off, 99% of the time is that the front wing end plates and the, the flaps have all broken up. And that potentially uh, creates shards, shards that will puncture the tires. So containing all of that small, those small shards is very, very difficult indeed. The only thing you could do is stipulate the material that they can be made out of. At the minute, you know, for stiffness and weight reasons, they're all done made in carbon fibre. Some of them have some Kevlar in them. And areas because there's areas that are defined now that you you know you have to have a different material to hold it together. Um, so you can do that as well. But still, it's going to be very very difficult to actually stop sharp debris from being on the track at some point in time and potentially cutting tires. Um, I wouldn't say that was the biggest problem. I think it's the, the big bits. Yeah, I guess the big bits have the uh, have the weight and therefore the energy in the case of an impact, isn't it? So that's the uh, that's the focus. Um, there's a section on passive safety structures and survival cell compatibility. Now, this talks about a review of front and side impact structures, so both their performance in isolation, but also their compatibility in car-to-car impact. Now, you read this, and straight away you're thrown back to think about the Hubert accident, where obviously Hubert had already had his first impact, and then he was collected by uh, one male Correa. Sort of T-bone accident, Correa couldn't have done anything about it. It was a very unfortunate set of circumstances so obviously this is an area where they're really looking about a, a kind of a, a proper dynamic accident when you've got two cars hitting each other because it that that's a real problem isn't it because the energy has to go somewhere and if you've got two things that are designed to protect what's inside that particular thing coming into contact in that way it's a really difficult problem isn't it to work out how to dissipate that energy separately uh, safely without jeopardizing one driver or the other um, yes, it is. I suppose, you know, accidents aren't new. Um, I was, after I departed from my Jaguar, um, responsibilities, I, I went to work for Adrian Reynard, uh, on IndyCars, um, in the States and I went to all the races and I was at Lazard's ring when, uh, um, Alex Zanardi got T-boned on the track. Alex left the pits, spun, leaving on the pit exit and around came another car and T-boned and cut the car in two and took his legs with it. So, you know, accidents aren't new. Side impact's not new. Um, and when we come back from there, the first thing I did was get a, a panel drawn up to fit on the side of the existing chassis um, just to try and strengthen the side of the chassis up a bit. Maybe it was a three millimeter thick uh, carbon and Kevlar panel um, bonded onto the side of the cars. It helped dramatically. So Formula One cars have got the same sort of thing right now. But at the end of the day, what we have is is a slightly different scenario. Um, we have a, a, a nose section um, that basically needs to have a slightly bigger cross section in an area a certain distance forward. So you've got a bulkhead in it. There is a where the where the nose joins the chassis. It's called an AA bulkhead, and it has to be uh, three hundred millimeters wide by two hundred fifty high, with a, a radius on it. Um, these numbers are at the top of my head, so they're roughly right. Uh, there needs to be a front bulkhead that's the same, further forward, you know, whatever it be, uh, from that from that bulkhead, a certain area. But on the sides of the car, then, for it to stop a T-bone incident happening, at the minute we've got these two tubes, basically one of them sticks out. We've seen, because of the side pod changes, some of them, one of them sticks out at the top of the side pod as such, the top of the radiator intake, and one of them sticks out at the bottom of the radiator intake. Now, if you hit that tube, smack on the end of it, 
It's absolutely perfect. It's a lovely, really is very, very good at absorbing energy. The chances of having that sat right on the end of it is about a thousand to one, whatever you're heading for the car with the nose section that you have. You know, there's nothing else there um, that will stop that um, force basically from going through the car. Uh, the radiator is very good at it, which is in there lying sort of maybe at 30 degrees or something. Um, so that's good for, for that energy. But the radiator itself is only about five centimeters um, thick. So again, the chances of your nose hitting exactly the side of that radiator is zero. So if I was starting to, to look at this seriously, I would be looking at like four tubes on the side of the chassis as such. Because you've got to get, you know, you've got to look at the design. You've got to get airflow through there. To cool the car, you know, there's sort of certain criteria that you have to allow for design. Um, and on the outside of those four tubes, I would have a panel, you know, it would be X area, maybe 450 by 450 millimeters, 45 centimeters, 45 centimeters, or whatever, even bigger. Um, and that would be in line with the side of the driver. So basically, if you had a car T-boning it, you'd hit this panel, it might be then five centimeters thick honeycomb panel, Kevlar. And then you would have four crush tubes between you and the driver. That would be where you'd absorb the energy into those four crush tubes um, before it hits the side of the car. Plus the fact of a slightly higher, um, slightly bigger area on the front of the nose. Um, so the two of them could work together. At the minute you're trying to take away all the energy by using the nose of the car for an impact, head-on impact, um, which is good because you, you still have that, but then you'd also have that doubled up because you'd be using the, using the side tubes to take away the energy, but you'd be giving it a bigger area to hit. It'd be in line with the driver's side. So I think a, a you know a simple thing. It's a complicated design, and again, this this word will come up very quickly. It ain't going to do nothing to make these cars safer unless you add weight. So no matter what weight's going to happen, it's going to add weight to the cars, which are at the moment too heavy as well so um it needs to be thought about logically um and i also would bring change the height of the nose the impact area of the nose personally i'd bring that up to a level that i i would say the axle height of the wheels um both the nose impact center of that bulkhead that i'm talking about would be on axle height and the rear crash structure which is about axle height all of those that stuff would become the same sort of height so basically you can absorb more energy by having it, if you drive into the car, um, you know, what I'm worried about now is that the, the low noses go underneath the car, especially on the start line, if you hit somebody from behind. Whereas at least if your nose is the same height as the rear crash structure, you will, the two of them will meet up with each other. Bigger bulkhead, and as far as the nose is concerned, a bigger rear crash structure bulkhead. Um, if you hit the rear wheel of somebody, so if you hit it in the middle, it's a better chance of either not going over the top or going underneath. Um, and that's the strongest suspension point. So the, the uh, you know, dissipation of energy has to be accounted for. And I think you could make all those things at the same height and put this panel on the side of the car, inside the side pod as such, um, being as we're going to ground effect cars and stuff, you would change that anyway. Do away with some of the nice Coke bottle shapes and nice undercut side pods. But... It would be a lot safer, and it wouldn't be as costly weight-wise as some other uh, constructions. I guess a lot of it is uh, 
a challenge in uh, what might be called geometry, isn't it? It's about maximising the range of angles of impact and attitudes of impact to make sure that you're absorbing that energy and there's no way to kind of slip through the slip through the gap, as it were. Yeah, so as I say, the chances of the nose of your car hitting the end of one of these side impact tubes is zero. Um, yes, the, the, the side of the chassis has an impact panel on it, or, uh, or a penetration panel as such on it, to stop the nose getting through the car. But, you know, the impact from a very small area into the side of another car, it's, it's enormous. So, as I say, these, these impact tubes are good if you go into the, a crash barrier, let's say, sideways. They, you know, they're pretty good. If you go into a, a big flat panel with your chassis, with these two tubes, that's pretty good. But that's not what another car coming at you and T-boning you is like. It has a certain bulkhead, front, front bulkhead size on the nose. Um, and that's what's hitting the side of the car. So, and the chances, I'll say, of hitting the end of these tubes is absolute zero. Moving down the list, there's a couple of small points about headrest design and fixation, about increasing robustness of retention of the of the headrest, which is a fairly sort of fairly simple and obvious one. There's a great deal to say about that, and also the front anti-intrusion panel, which has been uh, has been pioneered and, and retrofitted to, to cars, will be in the the base model. I presume there's not a huge amount to say about those headrests. The, head, the headrest absorption has been a good a good improvement, hasn't it, over the years? You were around when that was coming into Formula One, and that, that's made a huge difference, hasn't it? It has made a huge difference to a lot of people. I mean, you know, it's just, it's there. Um, we I do worry sometimes whenever we do see them moving around a bit. So, yes, a better fixation would be, would be pretty good. It's pretty easy at the minute. It just goes into two sort of dial pins at the back, really, and then there's two clips at the front. Because it's a it's a combination of being able to get them out quickly if a driver does have an accident and is is in trouble, uh, being able to get it out easily for the marshals or the medical people, and making sure it's there if you hit your head on it. So I think that's you know that's pretty possible. Just needs to be looked at a little bit closer, and that can probably be done without any penalty whatsoever, um, weight wise. So that's all positive stuff. Basically, anything you can do, I think, without. Uh, with just detailed design is is going to be a good solution anything you can do to do better by just detailed design but anything you can do by adding on a major amount of weight you need to really consider it very carefully well moving on there's a there's a section on electronic safety systems which obviously could apply to to all forms of uh, of motorsport talking about an accident notification and mitigation system so this covers a number of things that basically to act as, a, as an early warning for if you're unsighted. So if you're about to go through a blind corner and there's a crash on the other side of it, there's some kind of automated system that warns you uh, about it. And just generally better systems for, for warning drivers than the current lights and, uh, and, and flag system. I mean, they suggest that the rain light in the interim while they're working out a more all-encompassing system could be retasked and you can have a yellow flag repeater basically something on the car in front to warn you and then the longer term is to have a fully integrated uh, system integrated with a marshalling system talk about automated yellow flag generation direct car to car notification so basically warning drivers entirely about what's gonna what's gonna happen obviously this this was talked about remember a few years ago when there was that huge shunt at macau in the uh, in the gt3 race where basically you had a blind corner couple of cars come together near the front of the field and then just everyone piles into it because they've got no way to see it so this is one of those things you look at it and you think yeah that sounds like a great idea so the basic principle is nice but the devil's in the detail on this isn't it so how easy is it to do 
all of this to create a robust system that doesn't accidentally introduce potential problems and false positives and that kind of thing? Um, well, the false positive thing is just going to be down to software and making sure that it doesn't uh, do it wrongly. I would slightly go the other way because, you know, let's say, okay, I've changed our rear light stuff to be really good. You know, it's, it's going to warn the driver that's coming around the corner. But it's not going to warn the driver to come around the corner if I backed it into the tyre barrier and, and I'm sitting there facing them head on. It's actually a worse scenario than actually just going off and I'm in the tyre barrier. Um, so you've got to be very careful of using the, the car that's had the accident as the thing that displays it. At the minute we have, in the tracks, there's, there's three section points and each one of those is, is separated by sensors in the track. I'm told they're roughly every um, couple of hundred metres. So in reality, the car sensor that's on on there could be doubled up, so you can have two sensors just for, you know, for repeated or for or for um, security and for uh, reliability. Um, each car goes across those sensors, and it sends a signal somewhere. And that somewhere should, in effect, know that X car, X sensor, sensor A is coming across the track. If it doesn't reach that next two hundred meter point. In within the, a time limit, which is let's say it's normally you know five seconds or whatever it be, uh, between sensor sensor thirty two and sensor thirty three, then the car that's coming or the cars that are coming around within a certain area gets a yellow flag on the dash. We see the we see the gear change lights; they're all good stuff. It just needs one sensor with decent sized lights set on top of the monocoque. It could have a couple of yellow lights, a couple of red lights, and, and a couple of green lights. Normally, they're running green. Everything's kosher. You know, there's no car in front of you for for 200 meters. Um, and if there is a car in front of you of 200 meters um, that's, that's still moving, then you know the yellow lights come on. Or if the um, if the car's crashed and it stopped, it doesn't meet the next section, then they go red. You know, the, there is a way within the car of telling the driver because we have the sensors. In the track, we have the sensors on the car, so we can you know, they can send signals to it. So I think it need to contain it within the car. Relying on the marshal waving the flag or switching on a switch to put on a yellow light is is archaic. Whenever you think we're you know we're looking at driverless cars these days, you know Formula One is way behind in what it can do with um, with alert systems to other cars, and uh, you know I think we see it too often where basically, you know, somebody has gone too fast through a yellow section or, you know, they're taking a risk. Um, we need to eliminate all that stuff at the same time. So just don't focus on on um, trying to keep the systems we have and making them better. Think about the future. There's also a mention in this section about possibly having coordinated power reduction or redirection of cars following an incident. What do you think of those? I mean, automatically... A certain amount of cutting power you can see why that could work provided you could detect a situation where it might cause a problem for the car to have a sudden power reduction redirection of cars automatically following an incident is it is interesting what, what do you make of those um the redirection thing I, I don't really understand what you would sort of do with it the cutting power i i don't think it's a bad idea um but i think it should be left to the driver because it depends on where your system cuts power as to whether or not it's it's critical for the driver I believe that again, if you had my light system on the on the on the monocoque, that the minute a certain light comes on, the driver has to press a button. He's got lots of buttons on the steering wheel. He has to press a button, and that puts him into a speed limit with a deceleration rate of a certain amount. Now he wouldn't just 
press that button if he just had hit the throttle getting off the corner because you know he might need to con- con- control the car but he would press the button and he'd have a certain window i mean each each corner takes a certain amount of time so you could easily say that you know we can look at the data if your yellow light and the dash came on and you didn't press that button within one second um or two seconds or three seconds whatever it be then you know uh, you're going to get your knuckles wrapped um so there is ways of doing all that. I think the cutting the power or whatever it be is necessary. I've always said that this, uh, the safety car, the um, virtual safety car stuff, that should just be a speed limit. You know, the, the, the car's speed every 200 meters is defined on the track. And basically if you press a button that says, you know, this is going to be a maximum, my maximum speed in this area is going to be... Uh, 50% of what it normally is, because there's a yellow flag up there, then you just press a button and it does it. So you can't go faster. You know, you don't have this thing about, you know, I press, I, I slowed down at the end of the section a lot, but I didn't slow down at the beginning of it or whatever. You just have to press the button within a certain time of the lights coming on. That gives you a speed limit that's acceptable for this incident. Um, if it's a, a red situation, it, you know, you're only allowed, you can only do X amount of speed. Because driving through the middle of Blochamont Spa, you know, um, at 100 k's is as safe as houses. You know, you or I could do it, Ed. Um, whereas driving through, you know, the chicane at Spa or the, the first part of the track at Spa at 100 k's is quite tough. So, you know, it's all relative to what's going on. It's all relative to the speed that you normally go at. You don't have to slow down to a walking pace through Blochamont because somebody's had an accident. You just have to slow down to a practical level. And uh, that can all be done just with buttons and just with lights. And the warning system from the cars can be done by the car that's crashed or the car that's going slow. We get it all the time now, you know, whenever qualifying laps, people building up, waiting to try and get a clear part of track. That's as dangerous as actually an accident. But nothing gets done about it. It just keeps happening. And one day we are going to see a big accident with all these cars queued up trying to get a bit of a gap for a, for a qualifying lap. They haven't had an accident. They just sit in the middle of the track going nowhere. Uh, there's a section as well about uh, tyre pressure monitoring systems. Now, this probably is related to more categories outside the highest level, because obviously in Formula 1 they can already do that, but that makes sense to kind of develop a, talking about a lower cost tyre pressure monitoring system to to warn the driver. That sounds quite simple and straightforward and, and sensible, doesn't it? So there's a few little sort of detailed ones about crash survivability for driver installation, particularly in arrive and drive events, which is obviously well below Formula 1. But actually, I, I just as an aside, I think that's quite an important one cross motorsport which you have a lot of people i mean well when i was doing my uh very amateur racing career because of my size i was never the most comfortably and sensibly accommodated in uh in cars so i think that's quite a good area but doesn't really apply to the world of formula one there's an interesting line uh section about circuits talking about um the runoff areas and how to decelerate cars when they're in the runoff area if they're they're spinning or whatever using anti-skid and high friction surfaces and also solutions for track limit control to prevent cars from rejoining the track in a dangerous manner, so to stop, say, Sebastian Vettel with the way he rejoined it in front of Hamilton in Canada last year is probably the most famous example. Again, difficult to argue with the objectives. Do you think those are achievable? I think they're achievable, yes. I mean, Paul Ricard was basically built with high-grip runoff areas. Um, it was so high-grip that, you know, if you went off and slid sideways, you just ate the tyre through, basically. So, yes, it is possible. Um We've got a funny scenario because, you know, in reality, a lot of the old-style drivers are saying we need to go back to grass runoff areas because you pay a price for just running off the road. 
Um, we don't want to see this lack of respect respect for the track limits, which we see currently. Um, because, you, you know, a driver can push a lot harder if he knows he's not going to pay a price for actually overdoing it that little bit. So yeah, you have a situation where to satisfy both needs, um, stop a car having an accident, and um, make sure that the driver has to respect the track limits is is a very difficult one. I think you know you could probably have a bit of both. You could have a sort of two meter wide grass strip, and then a, a high grip runoff area. Um, I'm using grass as the word loosely. Um, grass strip around the side of the track, so that if you just put a wheel off, you know you will pay the price. And then you know a high grip surface behind that which allows you to, if you do make a mistake and do slide off the road, um, then you have the high grip stuff to stop you having an accident. That's all, you know, it's all okay. Um, and the, the other part about rejoining the track, that, that's just about respect. You know, I don't think these sleeping placemen or sausage curbs or whatever we call them these days, I, I think that's totally impractical for a car that's got, you know, 20 mil front ride height. It's ridiculous because it's just a, a chassis destroyer. It's just a money spender. Um, so... I think something has to come up that's that's a better solution, i.e. simple things like, you know, polystyrene boards, you know, very lightweight polystyrene boards that basically, you know, you have to go around. And if you don't go around them, you know, you'll hit them and they'll break. I remember, um, I think it was Manuelie Pirro in the, in, the, in the Benetton at the time going through it. And I think, you know, I spoke to him after that. And on the way there, he thought, I hope that's not concrete. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think even though it was polystyrene, I think it gave him a bit of a gave him a bit of a rattle. It's spectacular, but as I say, if you you know if you had polystyrene boards there with arrows on them, you know, and they're just five centimeters thick, you know, they carry no mass, no weight whatsoever. Um, they're not going to puncture tires. They're not going to do anything. They just have to sit there, and you have to go through them. And if you don't go through them, you know, then the the other way is worse. You must go through them because it's blocked off. Basically, it's not going to cause you any grief. It's not going to cause any damage. Yes, okay, if somebody does go through them and breaks them all up, they need to be replaced, all that sort of stuff. But it's easier to replace that than it is somebody driving out on the track and, and getting T-boned by another car, uh, i.e. Um, Zanardi in, 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 um, in Germany in the IndyCar way back. Because that can happen. You know, That can be the, the accident that we're, we're just hoping never happens. Uh, is there any other areas that either aren't covered in this or there's a couple of little minor things that we've kind of skipped over having gone through absolutely everything but the, the major points anything else that you think should be being looked at or we should be talking about well my, my big thing on the safety my personally would be that you know we're going to implement some new regulations um, these new regulations that were supposed to come in for 2021 which aren't coming into 2022 and who knows when when they'll really happen now with the situation that we've got but that would be the time that we we should incorporate a lot of the changes in the nose structure, the nose height, the side structures, and the rear crash structures. All of that stuff is good. The rope, the tethers to hold the nose, front wing, or whatever, that's the right time to bring all that stuff in. Um, so if you do all of that, you know, you've got yourself a situation, I think, where you will end up with a, with a better, a safer car after all. Um, but you need to be careful because, as I say, the biggest thing is all of this stuff the big heading needs to be weight. And, you know, you are talking, if you go around the car and do the stuff we're talking about now, you're probably talking about 20 kilograms, something of that nature, to maybe make the, the impact absorption 10% better than what it is now. Um, so you've got to you've got to accept that, really. So I don't think there's much else you can do. This is, it is an open formula, open wheel formula. It is an open cockpit formula. Um, and 
basically that's that's what you've got. And then you have a survival cell. You just need to work on that survival cell and, and allow it to to be better than it is currently. But you know, I started Formula One in nineteen seventy three, and during those early years, you know, it was well during the seventies. To be honest, you know, you were having three and four drivers killed a year. Um, you know, I stood stood and watched Roger Williamson's car smoking at Zandvoort across the back from the pits. Um, I was there when Tom Price was killed in South Africa. Yeah, they're they're all incidents that happened, deaths that occurred, and reaction to, you know, was an improvement. So you're never going to rewrite it all in one day, but you have to keep addressing it. And these accidents, like Jules Bianchi, uh, Suzuka, and the one in Spa. They're there. Um, you know, they need reacted to, but, but not knee-jerk reaction. But there are basically simple things. And as I say, this crash structure to me on the side of the car would be one of the first things, because I was there helping to get... Um, I had to do the police analysis on the on Zanardi's uh, car um, when he got his legs cut off, you know. So I was there with the two bits of the chassis um, and parts of him still in it. So I've seen that firsthand, and it isn't a pretty thing. So you need to just make sure that um, you address it, but address it correctly. And I think the positive thing you can say about the FIA is they have had a a very good research-based, analysis-based, science-based approach to doing this, which is why it's good they've published this list of areas they're looking at. And like you say, no knee-jerks, because it's very, very easy to to solve a very narrow problem, but create loads of other unintended consequences. Uh, It's a bit like the old straw bales approach, isn't it? It's like, oh, they they do stop you, but they also tend to uh, start a bonfire as well. So, uh, yeah, you you need to have those those things in mind. Well, it was a bit like catch fences and catch fence poles. You know, they they were great things, but, you know, whacking top of the head with one of them wasn't the best place to be. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, you need to be a little bit careful that you do react, don't take too long, because the the... The data that you're getting is constantly coming in, so you can suddenly it can be that you actually you should go a different direction, and you shouldn't be you shouldn't feel guilty about doing that. To be honest, I mean, I take the nose height as one of the things. The nose height was all set to make sure that you didn't hit somebody's rear tire and go over the top of them. Great thing, I hate to see that happening because obviously cars flying in the air is never a good solution. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, a, it's an individual um, reaction to, to an individual problem. I, you know, we haven't seen it yet, um, but then we haven't saw an accident like Who Bears at Spa last year. So we haven't seen somebody stalled in the start line and somebody blinded coming up from behind for a long, long time. But it, you know, it will happen. It will happen in some form at some point in time because that's, that's life. Unfortunately, things like that happen. So we need an, a little bit of an imagination as to what can happen, how different accidents can happen, and how different scenarios can create a different accident. And um, I'd hate to see a car going underneath like another car. Um, and again, you know, as you put the weight up because of all this stuff, that's more uh, energy to absorb in, in an accident. So it's a, it's a chicken and egg, you know. Would it be better just to make the cars lighter? That was Max Mosley's philosophy make the cars as light as possible because less energy to absorb. Um, at the minute we're making the cars heavier, more ener- energy to absorb. So the more energy to absorb, then you make them heavier again. So you're just on a, you know, you're, you're, you're on the downhill slope from, from word go. 
yeah, a complicated uh, question, but good that the FIA are continuing to work on this. And uh, thanks very much, Gary, for your insight into this. Do head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen. Plenty there about the latest in Formula One, the rest of motorsport. Pieces from Gary Anderson, of course, to read there. Do check out our other podcast as well as, of course, subscribing to the Gary Anderson F1 show if you haven't already, including the Race F1 podcast. And check out our YouTube channel. Just search for the race on YouTube. We'll be back next week with more from Gary. Gary. <laughs>